Well, as Brother Larry prayed earlier, it is a big day in the life and ministry of Central Baptist Church. And I know it's a day that a lot of us have been anticipating for quite some time now. And it's a good day because God made it, he ordained it, and he reigns over it. And I want to tell you just for, on behalf of my family, just thank you so much for just how you've welcomed us here to Central Baptist Church, to Portsmouth, Virginia. We've been just overwhelmed by your goodness to us, the, the groceries, the notes, the prayers, just the encouraging words. We, we so appreciate it. And we're so excited to get to know you and to be known by you. And so we, we look forward to it. And you know, because it is a big move. It's a long drive from Seattle to Portsmouth, Virginia. And uh, Pierce, our four-year-old, he didn't qu quite know how long the drive was going to be. We weren't even out of the county yet. We weren't even onto the interstate yet when he asked, are we almost to Virginia? <laughs> we only got 48 hours to go. You know, but as we drove, we, we first uh, kind of cut through the Cascade Mountains in Washington. And, and as you get close to the Cascade Mountains, as you get closer and closer, the mountains seem to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you're in them and you see it and the mountains, they're huge. You're right in there and the mountains are huge. And then as you exit through the Cascades, you can look in the rearview mirror and they begin to get smaller and smaller and smaller until they're out of sight and you can't see them anymore. And we continued on our drive and eventually we made it to the heartland of the country, the, the eastern part of South Dakota and Iowa and Illinois and Indiana. And as you're in the heartland of the country, it's just field after field after field. I mean, fields as far as the eye can see. It's like a never ending field. Are we ever gonna get out of these fields? And you keep, we kept on driving and eventually we made it to the beautiful mountains of West Virginia and the, and the western part of Virginia. And, just beautiful mountains, and then finally we made it home. And standing on our driveway looking out, you know, we couldn't see the, the mountains of Virginia or West Virginia anymore. We, we couldn't see the, the fields of the heartland. We definitely couldn't see the, the Cascades over in Washington because our perspective had changed. And in perspective, where we're at at that moment, hey, here's what we can see, and it's beautiful, but it's different than that. Perspective is a funny thing that way, isn't it? You know, probably we've, maybe had the experience before where there's someone who you've seen at a distance, maybe on TV, maybe just at a distance, and then you get up close and maybe you're surprised that the person is taller than you expected or maybe shorter than you expected, that they don't quite fit the mold that you had envisioned before you met them up close and personal. Maybe it's an experience that you think, hey, before you were in this situation that you had things all figured out. You know, parenting can sometimes be that way. That we know just what we would do until you're actually the parent of a child. And then when you're the parent of multiple children, I mean, by the time, you know, we, we begin to think we have things figured out with Emma, and then Bree came along, and we discovered what encourages and what motivates Emma doesn't necessarily work on Bree. And then came Pierce, and he's a different animal altogether. And if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. That's just how it works. And so your perspective changes. <laughs> Maybe a little humility is added. Well, we're, we're launching into a series where Jesus confronts the perspective of the world. And he challenges the thinking of the world. And, and what he's alluding to is the thinking of the world is upside down. And you know, we get hints of this. We we hear whispers, we, we see things that tell us that the world is not quite as it should be. You know, we, we see the marriage laws, we say, we know that's not quite right. 
We see families that are separated and we say, you know, that's not how things ought to be. We see people quarrel with one another, there's fighting, people bad-mouthing one another, people lying to one another, and we say, you know, that's not right. We know, we know this is not how things ought to be. We get hints, we hear whispers, we see things that tell us this is not how the world ought to be. But Jesus, he's gonna point here that, you know, none of us are immune to this type of thinking. And we, 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 being citizens in the world and living in this world, our perspective becomes clouded. And, and sometimes, living in this upside-down world, we begin to see things upside-down. And we use the upside-down logic of the world, thinking if we pursue life this way, we'll be happy. Because the world tells us, hey, live like, like this, and you'll be happy. You'll be blessed. You'll experience joy. And Jesus comes along in perhaps his most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, no, 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 here's where true happiness is found. Go ahead, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we'll watch as Jesus just totally offers this new wisdom, wisdom that the world would never even dream of. And while we hear the whispers and while we see hints, Jesus lays forth an argument that shows the world is much worse than we would even imagine. That the thinking and the wisdom of this world is actually upside down and he says, here's how to live right side up in an upside down world. This is a series that is about true happiness true joy, true blessing. And we're going to see that it's found in places the world would never dream of looking. Let's go ahead and begin. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Just stop right there this morning and imagine the scene with me for a moment. Jesus, he's been traveling around Galilee. He's gone from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue, and he's been proclaiming the gospel. And more than that, he's been healing people. He's been healing the sick. He's been healing with those with diseases and different kind of maladies. And so swarms of people are coming to Jesus and they're bringing their sick to him and they're bringing those who are hurting to him and he's healing them. And so crowds of people are following him and they wanna hear what is this miracle working rabbi going to say? And so as they're following him, at one moment, Jesus, he, he climbs up on this mountain and he begins to teach the disciples, but the crowds, they're all around. You, you can almost picture it, can't you? That the crowds are right there over the disciples' shoulders, listening. So I, I want to hear what this miracle-working rabbi is going to say as well. And then Jesus sits down. And in our culture, you know, when you sit down and you begin to talk, you think, well, this is more casual kind of talk. Not so in this culture. When the rabbi sat down, that's when he really gave you the wisdom. That's when he was really getting down to business. These were the most important words that he was going to say. So you can imagine that Jesus sits down and the whole crowds, they begin to say, shh, 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 shh. Be quiet. The rabbi is about to speak. And then it says that he opened his mouth. It's a, it's a Greek expression, which means he's gonna say something very important. 
that these words, this sermon that he's about to preach, it's vital, it's very important, you must listen. And he spoke that first statement, blessed are the poor in spirit. Supremely happy are the poor in spirit. Utterly joyful are those who have a poor spirit. And I can just imagine that the crowd just about fell over. I mean, they had to have been dumbfounded because he just rocked their upside down world. This is not how the way the world thinks. I mean, everyone knows that if you wanna get ahead in life, you have to be rich in spirit. I mean, we, we all know this. This is why we pump self-esteem, self-confidence. You have to believe in yourself. In fact, if you don't believe in yourself, no one else is gonna believe in you either. Right, this is what the world tells us. You're, you're never gonna get anywhere in life unless you have a, a really high self-esteem and all this self-confidence. This is what the world will tell you. That in order to be supremely happy, in order to be utterly joyful, in order, in order to be really blessed, you gotta be self-confidence. You have to exude self-confidence. You gotta make people believe in you. Don't let anybody see you sweat. Make people believe you got it all together, that you're worth following. If, if you can do those things, well then the world will come to you. The world will serve you, the world will benefit you. You'll be on top of the world, you'll be happy. You'll have joy. And Jesus comes along and says, happy, Blessed, joyful are the poor in spirit. <laughs> the world laughs and says, no, 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 no. The poor in spirit aren't happy. The poor in spirit get crushed. They, they get beaten up, chewed up, and spit out. I mean, if you want to be poor in spirit, you're just asking for a life of depression. This is not where happiness comes from. Happy are the perfect in spirit. Those who can make you believe they've got it all together. That's where happiness is. There's no joy, no blessing in this kind of poor of spirit type of life. See, Jesus, he's exposing the upside down thinking of the world. And he says, no, if you want to be truly happy, if you want to be truly blessed, if you want to be truly joyful, then you'll be poor in spirit. It's the poor in spirit. And that word poor, it refers to a depth of poverty so deep that you must rely on someone else to survive. That you recognize, I don't bring anything to this. I'm utterly dependent upon someone else for everything. As we were traveling across the country, we stopped in South Dakota, in the badlands of South Dakota. And there's all these rock formations and mountains and, and, and there out of rock and it's beautiful, just the different colors of the rock, and the kids were having a great time. Emma and Bree just kind of climbing around on the rocks, and Pierce, he was wanting to join in too. Emma and Bree, they're 10 and 8, Pierce is 4, and he's trying to keep up. He's trying to do what they're doing, but he's 4, and he can't. And he would get up on a, on a little rock or something sometime, and I'd come over to him and say, hey, Pierce, I'll help you, and, and give a hand, and he'd be like, Dad. As if to say, hey, I've got this. Just, just leave me alone. I can do this. But he'd be stuck. And after a while, you know, he just didn't want to sit on that mountain forever, on that rock, and just be stuck there forever. So after a while, he'd let his guard down. You know, that independent streak would fade a little bit, and, and he'd uncrumple his hand and reach his hand out, and I'd take his hand and I'd help him down so that he could run and play and do and try to do what the girls were doing. But Jesus is saying that in a small way, being poor in spirits like that, 
It's it's being willing to open up your hand and saying, I I can't do this alone. That that living this life and living a life of joy and happiness, I, I, I cannot do it alone. That I'm not perfect, that I don't have it all together. That it's not about confidence in me. Jesus is saying, if you want to be truly happy, you must recognize your desperate need. You must recognize your desperate need. And this is so counterintuitive to the thinking of the world, but the point is made over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. Jesus said it, apart from me, you can do nothing. You, you, you can do nothing that has any kind of eternal significance, anything of any kind of spiritual, lasting benefit. You can do nothing. The prophet Isaiah said it, he said, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Paul said, I recognize that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. In and of ourselves, we are all spiritually bankrupt. We bring nothing to the table. I mean, the world, it talks of self-esteem, self-confidence, having it all together. It all amounts to pride. And unlike any other thing, unlike any other kind of thing you might deal with, pride, it will show up on the mountaintops of life even more than the valleys of life. Because in the mountaintops, you'll say, hey, look at me, I'm not so bad, look at this. Look what I did, come on, pat me on the back. Congratulate me, encourage me, look how wonderful this is. Tell me how good I am. You know, you'll look in the mirror and, and, and you can convince yourself of anything. That's what pride does. It, it, it can justify any behavior you take. So whether you continue to serve, or you say, I'm not going to serve anymore. Say, well, I, you know, it's best that I don't so someone else can jump in. It, whether you give or you refrain from giving, whether you pray or you don't pray, whatever you do, pride can jump in and tell you that you're making just the right decision. This is what pride does. And more than that, pride separates Because pride tells you that you're better than other people. Pride tells you that you're okay in and of yourself. If you ever watch a scary movie, that's the way the directors do it, right? They like to put some person all alone because when you're all alone, that's when life is really scary. See, we know it, but we miss it because our perspective gets clouded by the thinking of this upside down world. And pride is always quick to shine that false light for you to parade under for, because pride loves to hold up your reflection and tell you how good you are. And you know what? We're all capable. Every single one of us, we're capable of turning the image that we see in the mirror into the most important thing in our lives. That life is ultimately about me, myself, and I. See, that's the tendency, because that's the world that we live in. That, that's what the world tells you to focus on. Yourself. If you don't look out for number one, hey, no one else is going to look out for you either. If you don't believe in yourself, no one else is going to believe in you either. See, the world will tell you you have so much to offer that, that we, you must like yourself, you must focus on yourself in order to be happy. The world loves to whisper phrases like, you deserve this. You're good enough, you've earned this. The world loves to whisper those phrases to you. Jesus says something altogether different. He says, no, this is upside down thinking because in and of yourself, you deserve hell. 
See, the, the fact that we get to live and breathe is just grace upon grace in our lives. It's totally undeserved. The, I'm not perfect just how I am. In fact, just as, as I am left alone, I am desperately wicked. That none of us, no, not one is good. The, the, this is what God is saying. This is what Jesus is saying. And he's saying that true happiness comes from being broken in spirit, from recognizing our desperate need and to look to someone bigger than ourselves. And then something incredible happens. We realize that only Jesus can turn those filthy rags into riches. That only Jesus can transform my brokenness into blessing. That only Jesus can take my emptiness and make it full. That only Jesus can do that. That the world can never do that. That I can never do that in and of myself. It must come from someone bigger. And then this new confidence comes charging in. And it's much bigger than self-confidence. It's the life app that Pastor Brian's been teaching our kids this past month. It's the true confidence comes from living like what God says is true. Because we know it's true. That, that's a much bigger confidence than me telling me that I'm okay. It's me believing that the God, the omnipotent God of the universe is powerful under any circumstance in life. And so that through any circumstance in life, there's, there can be joy, there can be happiness, there can be blessing. And that's bigger, that's a greater confidence. And it's a confidence that never needs to be shaken, that never needs to be broken, because God and his word, they never fail. We fail all the time. Self-confidence, self-esteem, it's nothing more than charades and who can play the game best. Confidence in God always stands firm because he's an unchangeable God. While we change, he never changes. So when, when we are broken in spirit, when we're poor in spirit and we trust in him and him alone, something incredible happens. There's joy in the midst of pain. There's, there's happiness through the tears. There's, there's blessing in the brokenness. Those who are poor in spirit, they drop any pretenses that in and of themselves, they're good enough drop any pretenses of trying to make people believe that you have everything together. Because we recognize that our need for God is not partial, it is total. We recognize that by virtue of being adopted into the family of God, we get the privilege of being a blessing to one another, to encourage one another. That's, that's why the Bible gives us in the New Testament this long list of one another's and what we get to do for one another. We get to pray for one another. We get to encourage one another. We get to serve one another. We get to share with one another. We get to love one another. And this is where happiness comes from. Because I don't have any pretenses where I'm trying to prove to you that I got it all together. All I have to do is show you that Jesus is the one who has it all together. You know, I've received so many messages from you and so many just handshakes and encouraging words and, and just... Um, Y'all just telling me that you're praying for me and you're praying for my family as we make this transition and we are so grateful for that. But I wanna ask you as a church to keep on praying for us. Don't stop, keep on praying. Pray that I'd be the kind of pastor, just the way you committed to, that I'd be the kind of pastor who would lead and love you well because I'm fully dependent upon God, not myself, that I'm not leaning on my own understanding but I'm totally leaning on his. And if you're under any kind of disillusion this morning that you hired a perfect pastor or even a pretty good pastor, 
Let, let me dispel that real quick. A anything of lasting value that takes place through my ministry here is totally uh, happens because I am connected to the vine. It's all Jesus. And if, and if I'm privileged to be a vessel that he uses through that, praise God, but it's only because I'm connected to him. I can do nothing apart from him. I am unable in and of myself to do anything of lasting value, anything of eternal significance. It's all him. But there's happiness and there's joy and there's such blessing in that because I know that I don't have to trust in me. I get to trust in him. And he's incredibly bigger than I am. <laughs> he's much larger, he, he, he knows more, he's much stronger. My knowledge, my strength, my wisdom is so minuscule. He's got it all. And so there is rest, there is peace in being able to trust him and not rely on me. It's why Daniel, he could be at peace when he's in the lion's den. It's why Joseph could tell his brothers, hey, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. It's why Paul, he could speak with joy while he was in the dark, brutal Philippian jail. It's why the disciples, they could passionately proclaim the gospel as they faced martyrdom. It's why Jesus, with joy set before him, endured the cross. See, this joy, this happiness, this blessedness, it's not dependent on circumstances. It's totally dependent upon the Savior. The poor in spirit are those who drop any pretenses of pride in being good enough. And it's those, it's those people that they are rewarded with the kingdom. That's, that's the promise. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, what, what can man do to me? The Lord has given me the kingdom. See, nothing in all creation can ever separate me from the love of Christ. And God has promised the kingdom. He's adopted me into this family. He's gonna give me the kingdom. Life isn't about me. It's about loving Jesus and loving others. And there's joy and there's freedom and there's blessing there that cannot be found anywhere else in the world would never dream of looking there. The poor in spirit, they're blessed because they've abandoned the resources in and of themselves to the all-sufficient resources of God's grace. And Jesus, he keeps on going, he continues, and he said, the next, blessed are those who mourn. <laughs> See, to the world, this is just as backwards as the previous statement. The, the world will tell you, hey, if you wanna be happy, don't cry about things. I mean, shake it off, move on. There's no use crying over spilt milk. Everything's gonna be okay. Don't focus on the, po on the negative, just accentuate the positive. Spend your time and your energy on amusement and entertainment and pleasure seeking. If you do those things, you will be happy. I mean, the, moral, the world may grant you that there's such a thing as tears of joy, but mourning and joy, mourning and happiness, mourning and blessing, I mean, these are total opposites, the world will tell you. Jesus says that the wisdom of the world is upside down. If you want to live right side up in an upside down world, you will mourn. You will not only have a brokenness of spirit, but you will have a broken heart. 
Because as you are poor in spirit and you look to God and you see a God who's so much bigger than you, so much different than you, a God who is perfect, then our imperfections begin to stand out. And the upside down nature of the world begins to stand out. And our heart begins to break for the things that break God's heart. That, that sin in our life that's so ugly and so detestable, we, we begin to see just how ugly it is. The, the sin in the world that, that is so upside down and is so revolting to God, it begins to revolt us as well. This is Jesus shortly before he'd be arrested and crucified and he is weeping over Jerusalem. He says, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that killed the prophets and stoned those sent to it, how often I would have gathered you as a, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. He's weeping, he's mourning over the world. You, you begin to see the world as Jesus sees it and it breaks your heart because you see a world that is not as it should be, you see a world that is upside down and your heart breaks for the things that break God's heart. See, see the world's heart does not break over sin. The world embraces sin. The world will convince you that evil is good and that good is evil. See, the, the world will laugh at sin. The, the world will cozy on up to it and say, oh, oh, just tell me more. I wanna hear more, let me watch it, let me listen to it. Oh, did you hear what that person did? Oh, yeah, tell me. Just give me all the gory details. I want to know. This is what the world does. This is how we handle conflict. This is how we gossip. This is what we do. This is what the world tells you to do. This should not be so in the church. See, in the church, we are people whose heart breaks over evil, that, that we see a world not as it should be and, and we don't run to it but we say, I can't have anything to do with that. That I know that is revolting to God and it breaks my heart as well. We hate evil and we love what is good. See, this, this is Nehemiah as he hears the state of the walls in Jerusalem after the Babylonian exile had ended and for 70 years they'd been allowed to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And then he gets the report, everything is still in disrepair. And Nehemiah, he sat down and he wept. And he says, God, we have acted so wickedly toward you. See, he includes himself right in. We have acted so wickedly toward you. We are a disgrace. At times we've probably all felt that way. If, if you're a believer and you've ever thought, man, I just can't measure up. I, I see what God has called me to be and I, I just, I try, but I, I just can't get there. And, and maybe that's a discouragement to you, but I, I hope you can turn it around and see it as an encouragement because it's a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. It's a sign that, that the Holy Spirit is working to conform you into the image of Christ. That the things that hurt the heart of God are hurting your heart. And you're saying this within me that I know is evil and I know it, it so separates me from God, it's now paining me to look at. And I want to rid myself of it. it, it it's the Holy Spirit at work, turning your heart into a heart that is broken over the evil in your life. 
See, the world, it would whisper something altogether different to you. See, the evil one, he will cozy up next to you and say, no, 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 no. Don't worry about that. You're okay just the way you are. You're in need of nothing. It's gonna be all right. Just try a little harder. It's gonna be okay. You can do this. You can do this. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You can't, but I can. And then as you're broken in spirit and you're brokenhearted, you're mourning over your sin, you ask for his help. Ask God to convict your heart of sin and then mourn over it. So that, maybe that doesn't sound like fun at all. You say, well, and that's gonna make me happy? <laughs> that's gonna make me joyful? I mean, to mourn over sin? Let me tell you, there's such happiness and such joy and such blessing there because here's the promise that Jesus said, you will be comforted. <laughs> you will be comforted by the loving God of the universe. See, you might try to comfort yourself over whatever sin you've got. There is no comfort in comforting yourself because you know you're living a lie. But when you give it to Jesus and you say, I see the evil in me. I see the wrong in me. Will you forgive me? I, I want it out. I want to look more like you. I want to have a heart like you have. And then he comforts you. And you begin to, to remember those words that he says and, and how he will always love you and how if he cares about the lilies of the field, how he'll care about you. And these scriptures come to your mind and, and you're refreshed by the, by the comfort of our Savior. And there's joy and there's happiness there that can't be found anywhere else. So keep a short account with God. Keep a short account with God each and every day. Look, look at your life and say, God, what, what have I done or not done that hurts your heart? And God, would you cause it to hurt my heart as well? Would the things that break your heart break my heart? Because I want to look like you. I, I want to be like you. I, I want to represent you well. And let me just tell you, there is no joy, there is no happiness that the world can provide that even matches the joy and happiness of a relationship with Jesus. God gives the best fun because it's the type of fun, it's the type of enjoyment that when you put your head on the pillow at the end of the night, there are no regrets. It's just joy. It's just happiness. It's just blessing because you're living life the way life is supposed to be lived. You're living life the way God designed it to be lived by the way he created it to, to be lived. See, he gives the best fun because you're able to enjoy his people and his creation as he intends it to be enjoyed. And to live any other way, to live upside down, doesn't bring happiness, doesn't bring joy, doesn't bring blessing. But the world is trying to fit this square peg in a round hole and there is no joy there because they're not living life the way the creator designed it to be lived. See, too often we miss the joy, we miss the happiness, we miss the blessing because we're not broken people. We, we like the world, we're, we're focused on ourselves and our circumstances. 
And what happens is we begin to have the same perspective that my family had on our drive from Washington. Because we're over here and and we know what God says about being poor in spirit. And we say, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna be poor in spirit. And we we push him away a little bit because we say, "I, I gotta make people think that I have it all together. So we just push them away a little bit. And we know what God says about mourning over our sin. We say, no, I'm not gonna sit around crying over what I've done. I'm just gonna try to do better myself. And we just push him away a little bit. And we know what God says about handling conflict and how we're supposed to go to the person. But we say, no, 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 no. People need to know how this person is wrong to me. And so we just push them away a little bit. And what happens is we're living in an upside down world and then the circumstances of life hits and we've pushed them away and we've pushed them away and we've pushed them away. And God's over there and the circumstance of life is right here. And our perspective tells us that the circumstances of life are bigger than our God. And the joy and the happiness and the blessing fades because we miss the omnipresent God of the universe and our perspective tells us that our circumstances are bigger. God is trying to get our attention and tell us, no, 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 no. I'm the omnipresent God of the universe. I am Lord of all. I'm Lord over that circumstance. And while it may hurt, and while there may be tears there, there's joy to be had. There's joy to be found. There's blessing there. There can be happiness there. Trust me. Be a broken people. There is blessing in brokenness. And the world would never have you look there. See, Jesus, he wants to get our perspective right side up. Today is a big day in the life and ministry of Central Baptist Church, but let me tell you, if we will be a church who recognizes our desperate need for God, if we'll be a church who drop any pretenses of trying to make people believe that we've got it all together, if we'll be a church who keeps a short account with God, if we'll be a church who's broken, and understands that our need for God is not partial but total, then let me tell you, bigger days are ahead. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. We thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness, your generosity toward us. God, we thank you for what you're doing in the the life and ministry of Central Baptist Church. But God, we we recognize that if we try to do it ourselves, it's not going anywhere. That our need for you is total. So God, we fully depend upon you. Would you break our hearts for the things that break your heart? Would you help us to see the world as you see it? Help us to see things right side up. Give us that proper perspective. God, so that we could be a people of influence, a light in our communities for your gospel. Lord, help us to strive together for the faith of the gospel totally and wholly dependent upon you. We can't do it any other way. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.